as I was saying to the boys and girls, they were beginning this morning a new, a new sermon series, and we're going to spending probably up until about Easter time, and we'll see how things go, um, about looking at the names of God that we have in the Old Testament. And when I talk about the names of God, it's important for me to say at the very beginning of this sermon series, and please forgive me because I'll probably repeat this over the next few weeks as well as we look to endeavor on this wee journey, as we learn about God's character and who he is towards his people. That when I talk about the names of God, and when we're saying about looking at the names of God in, in the Old Testament, it doesn't mean, it does not mean that there's more than one God. That's not what this means, okay? And it's important that we say that because we see in Scripture about the, the singular God we have. There is only one God. The Lord your God, the Lord is one. And you shall have no other gods but me, the Lord says in the Old Testament. So when we talk about the names of God, we're not, we're not giving permission, as, as we see in this day of uh, mixed kind of people pick and mix uh, religion and faith and spirituality, where people just, they see a bit of everything they like. You know, they like the wee quotes from Hinduism, and they'll take some of that, and it makes them feel nice, and they can meditate on them. And then they like something about going to heaven, and, you know, God being love, and they'll take that from Christianity, and they pick and mix. We're not doing that. That's not what we're saying. And actually, we'll see, we'll see that the scriptures stand completely against doing that kind of thing. We're not giving permission to um, the, the names for other gods, small g, um, in, in other religions in the world, like Hinduism and, and Buddhism. We're, we're not giving permission to be able to call them the name of God because they're not found in the Old Testament. And, and we're not saying that there's many roads up one mountain. There, again, that's, that's one of the things that we see about this kind of universalistic approach to faith, spirituality, religion now, where we're all going up a mountain, you take your road, I'll take my road, and we'll all meet somewhere nice, high in the sky, you know, sitting on the clouds, you know, playing harps and stuff like that. We're not saying that there's many roads up one mountain. We know that Jesus is the only way. And, and actually, by looking at Jesus, we see the direct representation of God the Father. So what are we doing by looking at the names of God? What does it mean by the names of God? Well, as I said, the Old Testament says you shall have no other God but me. And, and we're going to be exploring who that me is. Who that me is. By looking at the names he's called by his people in the Old Testament. Let me break it down really simply for us at the very beginning. Effectively, what we're doing is a, is a study into God's character and his nature. And often his character was, was explained by him being ascribed a name that showed who he was towards his people. So one of the word, ones we'll look at is Jehovah Rapha, which means the, the God who heals that God is the one who heals, and, and it showed people that his people would convey that by ascribing him that name, Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. Or, or we'll look at Yahweh, which he reveals in Exodus 3 as his own personal name. I am who I am. So we'll look at our, uh, there's, there's loads of them in the Old Testament, don't have time to go through all of them, but we'll spend time going through them. And hopefully as we do, we'll learn about God's character towards us and who he is. So, for example, I have different names, different titles that I can be called. You know me as Norman. 
It's my personal name. It's the name I was given when I was born, and it's what most people would refer to me as. But I also have, um, I also have a, 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 a surname, um, Afrin, which shows the, the family I belong to. Sadly, my surname can't tell you anything about where I'm from because we don't have a clue where it comes from. I'm uh, known as sometimes called brother. Uh, and you, by, by me having that name, you, you see another part into who I am. That you know that my parents had other children and I have siblings. I'm sometimes called um, a husband by Becca. It shows you that I'm, I'm married. It, it shows you another glimpse into me as a person. I'm called dad by people. And when you hear that, you understand that I have children. And sometimes I'm called reverend, and it shows you the, the profession or, or what I do as a, as a job. You, so you, you see each of these different names, it shows you a glimpse into, into part of who I am as a person, names or, or titles. And it's a bit like the, that with the names of God that we have in the Old Testament. Each shows us, a, it's like a, this beautiful diamond that when you, it has loads of kind of facets to it. You, you see it from a different perspective that God is, yes, he's, he is um, Elohim, which we'll see means the, the mighty one or the supreme one, but he's also the, the God who heals. He's Jehovah Rapha or he's Jehovah Sinkenu. He's the Lord is my righteousness. He is our righteousness. Each one showing us a glimpse into who God is towards us and who he's revealed to be within the scriptures. So this morning we're going to read from Genesis chapter 1. Uh, and read the, the, the first 26 verses. So that's 1 to verse 26. And hopefully the words will appeal on the screen uh, before you. So let's look at Genesis chapter 1 together. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. And let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place. And let the dry land appear, and it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit uh, trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding uh, seed according to their own kinds and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser night to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. 
to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters and the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image and our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Amen. Lord, we pray that as we embark on this new sermon series and as we look at the names that you are given in the old testament lord that we would learn about your nature and your character towards us lord we thank you that you are who you say you are you're not a man that you should lie you're the lord who changeth not and father as we do this study lord and as we look at a bit of hebrew over the weeks as well lord we we pray for um we just pray for open minds, Lord, and we pray that it would be, uh, I would communicate with uh, simplicity. Uh, and Lord, we, we thank you that your word never returns to you void. Lord, I pray that this isn't just information giving, Lord, but actually through the power of your Holy Spirit and through the, the richness and the power of your word, that it is transformative for us as a people here in Sandy Hills. So go before us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning we're going to be looking at the name Elohim and it's one of the, 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 the most used names um, for God in the Old Testament, one of the, used, the most used names. And in our passage at verse 1 we read that um, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And in English, it says in the beginning God created, but actually this, this word God that we have in English in the Hebrew language, it appears as the name Elohim. So it would say, in the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. So one of the first names for God that we read of in Scripture is this name Elohim. And Elohim appears over uh, 2,700 times in the Old Testament. So it's a pretty uh, well-used name for God in the Old Testament. And the Hebrew word Elohim, as I said, is, is translated uh, into English as the word or the name God. So in the beginning, we read verse 1, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Elohim is also, would be what, in, in Greek, we have the name for God, which uh, is, is Theos. It also comes from this name Elohim. So when we talk about theology, 
and we talk about the uh, theology, uh, what that means is ology means the study of, and theo or theos would be God, the study of God. And that word theos or the, the word God we have in the English, theos in the Greek, both of them are t- uh, come out of this word Elohim in Hebrew. So what is our passage teaching us this morning? Well, Genesis 1 has been uh, at the middle, Genesis 1 and 2 has been in the middle of of many, many uh, debates, many, many books, many, many seminars, lectures, uh, conversations uh, about the origin of the universe. How in the world are we here in the world is basically the question that many people have endeavoured to answer. Both, you know, uh, scientists, uh, theologians, uh, just normal coffee drinkers, you know, having a wee coffee in Starbucks. You know, how does this all come to be is often a question that is asked. And Genesis 1 has is, is been at the, the, the very centre of a lot of discussion about the, 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 the creation of the universe. How, how is all this that we see come into existence? Now, we know that in Scotland, we live at the very centre of the universe. You know, the, the, the most beautiful place in the whole universe. And actually... Coming from Lewis, I would say that even, even, it's even honed in even more to the Isle of Lewis as the real centre. It is Scotland, but it's more the Isle of Lewis with all its beauty and its rich, its rich diversity in the land and creation. It is, it's wonderful. Many of us, you know, we, we like to go up hill walking and, and, and just getting to the top of that summit and just looking out and seeing what we see is just remarkable. How has all this come in to being. And it, like I said, it's, it, it's led to many, many debates, many books being written by atheists and scientists and, uh, and, and others, apologists. And atheists like Richard Dawkins would argue that actually scripture is a load of rubbish, that there is, it's, it's all by chance, that, that there, there's, there's nothing at the, the, the beginning of it. It's just, it's just happened that, that over thousands and millions and billions of years that gases kind of came together, cooled down, heated up, cooled down, heated up, and eventually this, this big bang came from those gases heating and cooling and, and, and atoms were formed and so on and so forth. And, and then eventually the, we, we, we see that evolutionary process came and, and it's just by chance that, that all these things, it's just by chance that we're sitting here this morning. Now personally, to me, that makes no sense. And I think you need, you need more faith for that. <laughs> I would ask the question, what caused the Big Bang? What caused those gases to be there. As Thomas Aquinas said, there, there must be an uncaused cause. And the example that's often used for this uncaused cause, do you know those things that people often have on their desk? I can't have one because I'd play with it too much. And it's got about eight silver balls and you pull one and you let it go and then so on, so on. There has to be something that pulls the first one because they can't just start moving. There has to be something that initiates that first one to cause that chain of events to take place. 
we would say there, there has to be as well some sort of intelligent designer. The example's given that if you had, if you had a watch on and you smashed it to pieces and you threw it into a, a, a sandwich bag and you started shaking it together and you pulled it out, there's 0.000000 no chance that you would pull out a formed watch. Because there has to be an intelligent designer who places and with precision and, and with clarity and with reason the watch together. There has to be some sort of intelligent designer who's caused this watch to be. Now for us as Christians, we would say that that uncaused cause, that intelligent designer we see is told the very, very first verse in Scripture, in the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. And in the beginning we have of Scripture, we don't just have a, a description. Verse 1 is not just a description of what took place. It's a theological declaration. In the beginning, Elohim created God created. Now, granted, even within the Christian faith, there are, there are those that would disagree about whether Genesis 1 and 2 is figurative, if it's more symbolic and more poetic language. Uh, and actually, they would say that, that, that what we have in Genesis 1 and 2 isn't actually um, the literal way that God created. That they, they would, some Christians would argue that you know, God is the uncaused cause. He's the, he's the intelligent designer, that he was the one that created the Big Bang and he used the evenly, uh, evolutionary process to, to create. And, and they would say that, Genesis 1 and 2 are just symbolic um, um, words that, that point to the, the real important point, which is that God created. There are others, and, and I would be within this second camp, that, that would read Genesis 1 and 2 as, as literal, that God created how Genesis 1 and 2 tells us that he created, that he did it in six days and he rested on the seventh. But even within that, there are discrepancies and differences and, and, and different opinions. And, and, and I love a good creation debate. And, and if you would like to have a chat about that, please come and speak to me because I, I do find it really fascinating uh, about creation and, and all these different things. But the important point, though, is this theological declaration that in the beginning God created. That in the beginning Elohim created but this morning we aren't studying creation in, in, as, in as much. We're, we're looking at this name for God that is used, Elohim. In the beginning, God created. So what does Elohim mean? And what does it reveal to us about God's character? Well, Elohim, as I said, means the mighty one or the supreme one. It points to his power, his might, that he is supreme. There is no one like him. His power and his might. And in Genesis 1, what we see is the power of our God. As I said, I would be a literal, uh, literal uh, creationist that, you know, that, that God created as, as Genesis tells us. And um, maybe you disagree, but that, you know, let's park that to the side this morning. He created 
through spoken word. In the beginning, God said, let there be light. Does that not just point to his power and his might? He spoke everything we see. The beauty of our nation, the beauty of our land, the shooting stars in the sky, everything we see, even the things we can't see with our naked eye, he spoke them into being. Such is his power, such is his might. And the name used here for Elohim is, is an interesting one because it isn't a personal name. It's not a personal, the personal name that we have for, for God, as I said, is the one that he reveals to, to, to Moses in Exodus 3, um, when Moses is seeing him through the burning bush, and he says, I am who I am, and Yahweh is his personal name. But this, this, this name or title, Elohim, is more a generic one. It's more generic. And actually, it was quite a common used word within ancient Bible times. And it could be, and it was used um, to speak of um, by others about their gods as well. It would, be, it would have been the word that you would use if you were speaking about your God. So other kind of religions and, and, and false idolatry worship in the Old Testament, they would have used this word as well. So in some ways it can speak about any deity, Elohim. It's a bit like the English word we have, um, God. We as Christians, when we speak of God, we know who we're talking about because we're in the context of a worship service. But others outside of church use the word God for other things and to describe other people. Sometimes you hear of footballers being described as he's a godlike man when he's on the football pitch. They, they use it in, in other different ways. We, we see it within Greek mythology as well. When, when you speak about the God of thunder, it, that word God it, and the name God, it points to the might of someone and, and just how powerful they are. But the amazing thing about the one true Elohim, the one true God, is that he doesn't just stay generic and distant, but he reveals himself personally to his people. And we believe there is only one true God, there is only one supreme one, there's only one mighty one. There's only one who has the name above every other name. He's the God of the Bible who revealed himself personally to Moses as Yahweh who called and formed a people for himself and who is visibly seen through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and who reveals himself through his word, the God-breathed scriptures. So what is Genesis 1 showing us by using this unpersonal name for God, this, this name Elohim? Well, what we have to remember is in the beginning, God was creating. There wasn't creation for him to be personal to at that point. There 
There wasn't a creation for him to be personal to at that point. And it's one of the real beautiful things and the, the differences we see in the creation narrative. Because it isn't until later, and we'll get into this in a few moments, where he reveals himself personally when he creates man and woman. When he creates humans. And what this word, this name Elohim is showing us is he's not just our personal God. We don't just gather here in Sandy Hills and worship our personal God. We are worshiping the Supreme One, the Mighty One, the One that is all-powerful, the One that is sovereign over all creation. He isn't just the God of Israel and the God of Sandy Hills. He is the God of creation. He is the God that spoke everything into being. He is Elohim. He is all-powerful and He is almighty. So yes, He is our personal God, but He is the sovereign Creator. And unlike the thought of this day that, that speaks of, you, you've probably heard some of this, we, we've seen a real decrease in religion in Scotland, but one of the things that we've seen an increase in is spirituality. There's so many people who are, are spiritually um, searching and seeking, whether that be through different uh, different mediums or whatever it is. You see them all over Facebook now about, about card reading and all that. People are searching for something. But unlike the thought of this day where many believe in, in energy, about good energy, you know, you do good in this world and the good energy of this universe will, will bring, you know, goodness back to you. Unlike the thought of this day where, where many just kind of focus on abstract concepts about kind of just thinking about, you know, nice things and nice words and, you know, nice motivational uh, speeches on Facebook and Instagram about, you know, the ones I'm talking about, you know, pull yourself together and you'll pull other things together. I don't know, something like that. These abstract things, these nice words that people want to just try and promote some sort of good energy with good abstracts out there. Genesis 1 stands in complete opposition of that. Because Elohim is not an energy. And Elohim is not an abstract concept. But he's a mighty creator who acts and who speaks. In the beginning, and God said, let there be light. His reality, God's reality and his existence is seen in his actions. God said, let there be light. God said, let the waters. God said, let the earth. We see even within the New Testament, God is continuing to show who he is through his actions and through his words. He humbled himself. He became flesh. He carried a cross. He was born in a manger. We see his existence in his actions towards creation. We see that Elohim, Elohim alone is God because just look at his power. There was nothing. And God said, let there be light. And there was. 
we see him as God through his words, his works, and his ways. We see that he alone is Elohim because in the beginning, friends, he created. His power and his glory is revealed and shown through his works. The stars are his handiworks. Isn't it just incredible to think? I was thinking last night as I was preparing to come this morning, I miss seeing the stars so much. I didn't know what light pollution was until I came to the big city of Glasgow. I miss seeing the stars. Just seeing the expanse of his creation. Looking up and just seeing them twinkling in the sky. Thousands upon thousands and millions upon millions. Such is his power and his might. And this drives home our opening name that, that God is the supreme one. That he is the mighty one. There is no one like him. There is no one but him. So we ask, well, who is this God? Who is Elohim to tell me what to do? To, 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 to try and shape my life? Friends, he is the creator. He is the uncaused cause. He is the intelligent designer. And he has created you for his glory. A, na a man named Professor Segan once said, we live in a cosmos and not in chaos. Sometimes it might feel like we live in chaos, but actually we don't live in chaos. We live in a cosmos where the earth is orbiting as it should be and all these different things. Gravity is working. We don't live in chaos. We live within a cosmos. And how does the whole world make sense? Friends, so many people miss verse 1 of Genesis 1. They miss and they don't start with Elohim. They don't start with God. If you do not start with God in your life as the very first point of your life, you will end up living in chaos. You will end up living in mess. We see Adam and Eve did that. They neglected God and chose their own path. But everything finds its existence flows from him and finds its purpose in him. I wonder if, if you've ever joined a movie halfway through. I know sometimes I end up doing that when Joel is watching something and I sit down and I think, I don't have a clue what's going on right now. But I would if I'd watched it from the beginning. In the beginning, God created. Don't miss that important theological declaration. He is Elohim. And he establishes our steps as the author, the creator, and the sustainer of life. Recently, I was, we were out for dinner as a family. Went to Tony Macaroni's. Other Italian restaurants are available. I better say that because we're now live streaming on YouTube. I was uh, at Tony Macaroni's. And one of the good things about the kids' menu is they get a wee activity sheet that comes out. Um, and they get crayons and all these different things. And, and Joel was... Um, uh, doing the join the dots. Do you remember that activity? Now, join the dots is a very simple game, a very simple activity. I would say there's not many rules, rules to it, but there's two key principles. And if you miss it, you mess up the whole thing. You start at the beginning and you follow the subsequent numbers. Bless little Joel. I think he started in something like number 17, went to number three, and he was just joining dots all over the place. It was a mess didn't have a clue what it was. So 
swapped him and Malachi's activity because Malachi doesn't have a clue but you're on the dots. And I taught Joel that you start with number one and you move to number two, move to number three. And lo and behold, before we knew it, this beautiful image and picture of a pineapple was revealed to us all at the table. I know it's a really silly example, but friends, that's what life is like when we don't start with verse 1 of Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God, he is the mighty one, Elohim. If we don't start with him, we end up living in the mess and chaos of sin. And you're just joining dots all over the place. You're scrambling and trying to grab any sort of sense of this life. What's the point? What's the purpose? Why am I here? What am I doing? Where do I go? If you start with number one and then follow the plan that the author of Join the Dots had, the perfect image God's love, grace, and redemption is revealed to us. And what we see in the very first verse of Genesis 1, the very first verse of Scripture, is that we are not the subject. Creation isn't the subject. Elohim, God, is the subject. It's all for him. It's all about him. And it's all because of him. So it's not about how do we fit God into my life. wonder if you've ever asked that question. How do I fit God into my life? It's the wrong question. Because this isn't about us. This is about him. He is the subject. And the question we need to ask is, how do I fit into God's story? Not how do I fit God into my life? Because if you try and fit him into your life, I'll tell you something, you'll never make it work. I did a children's talk a few months ago about the tennis balls and the, the oranges and the sand or whatever it was. Do you remember when you, you put the sand in first and then you try and put the God stuff in? doesn't fit. doesn't work. It's the wrong way around. How do we fit into his story? How do we respond to him? Because he is the one true Elohim and has made himself known to us. And this is the amazing thing, like I said, although Elohim isn't a, a, a personal name, he doesn't stay distant and he doesn't stay unpersonal. And he reveals himself with his personal name, which is used over 7,000 times in the Old Testament, Yahweh. And it's not until Genesis chapter 2, verse 4, we read this, these words. Hopefully it will appear on your screen. Genesis 2, verse 4. These are the generations. This is about the creation of man and woman. These are the generations of the heaven and the earth when they were created. In the day, do you notice the difference? The Lord God made the heaven and the earth. It's the first time the name Lord is used. And in Hebrew, that name is Yahweh. And he doesn't stay a distant, far off God. But when humanity is created, he becomes our personal God. It's like Yahweh Elohim would be the Hebrew. The Lord God. Yahweh Elohim. Our personal God who is almighty and all-powerful and there is no one like him. 
the sovereign God of creation who revealed himself personally to humanity. Isn't it just beautiful? The one who flung the stars into space, who spoke the world into being, made it so that you could know him personally. Now what's fascinating about, and we're nearly finished this morning, what's fascinating about the word Elohim in Hebrew is that it is, it is plural. So although in, 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 the, in the Hebrew we read in the beginning God, and it's important to make that point, whenever they were speaking about Yahweh, the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God that we worship, the one true living God, whenever they spoke of him, it was always singular. But they did use that word Elohim, because I said it's a genetic word for, for gods. They would use it in other points, and whenever it's used in other points, it's small g with an s on the end, because it's pointing to actually they don't exist. And what we have here is this plural word that is used in the beginning, Elohim. And what's important to say is that although it's plural in form, it is singular in meaning. So it doesn't say, um, it's not talking about, you know, in the beginning, the gods created. It's talking about the singular God that is only one. And, and what I find fascinating in verse 26 of Genesis 1, we read these words that many have wrestled with for, for, for many, many years. And, and I'm not going to get to the bottom of it in two minutes in Sandy Hills Parish Church. Then God said, let us make man in our image and our likeness. Who is God speaking to? He doesn't say, let me make man in my image, but let us make man in our image and our likeness. Now, some say that the us here is that, that God is, is speaking with the, the kind of royal we, as king or queens would do so when they're, when they're addressing people. They speak of the royal we, even though they're speaking about themselves, they're speaking about the royal we. <laughs> Very unlikely that they would be using that kind of idiom within ancient times. Others would say that, that God was speaking to the angels of creation. Now, that is I've really struggled with that. Say that, that's completely wrong because God doesn't need advice from the heavens to create. We read in Psalms that he alone created. So what then? I think there's one very likely thing and we've already been introduced to these two persons already. That actually in this moment, although the author of Genesis probably isn't looking to teach us about the Trinity because the Trinity isn't coined as a phrase until later on in New Testament time that we have this hidden jewel here in the very first pages of scripture. He's the, the, God said the Logos, the second person of the Trinity. We see that the, the Spirit of God was hovering over the faces of the waters. And in this moment, we see this beautiful glimpse into our God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I would call it an amazing God incidence. I think it's like a wee hidden jewel we see. So why is Elohim used? Elohim being the plural form of God. Why is it used to speak of the singular God, the only God, the only one true God? It's to show the plurality of his majesty. The plurality of his superiority and his might. He is called the supreme one. 
Elohim. He has no rival because everything in existence has come from him and finds its purpose in him. Elohim then points to the fullness and the richness of our God and his being. He isn't one-dimensional. And I said, we're going to finish, finish with this. He isn't one-dimensional. And this is one of the biggest issues I think we see within the world, but the church today as well. We live in this day and age that people would say is kind of postmodern, and there's no abstract kind of, uh, there's no um, absolute truth anymore. There's no meta-narrative. You know, you do you and I'll do me. We'll pick and mix. We'll take from here. We'll take from there. And we'll just do whatever we want. And, and I would say that this has been concluded and very visible by the, the well-known, and we've probably all seen it, the, uh, uh, the, the well-known uh, song that is often played at the end of funerals by Frank Sinatra, I Did It My Way. We live in this pick-and-mix society that is sadly creeping into the church. And, and I would say it is rife in the Church of Scotland where we see God as one-dimensional. To me, people say, God is love. And it's often used as the argument against same-sex marriage. That's why people are for it, because God is love. And surely if God is love, then he wants people just to be happy and to love whoever and whatever they want to love. Because God is love and love is God. That's, that's complete wrong. Because that's looking as God as one-dimensional. Absolutely, God is love. Love is not God, because we have a very misconstrued idea of what love is in our day. God is love. But he isn't one-dimensional. And often what people are saying when they talk about God, you know, God is love, is they're rejecting the other natures and, and, and ca character of God. God isn't just love. He's also the God of holiness. He's the God of majesty. He's the God of wrath. He's a God who is jealous. He is sovereign. He is just. He is creator. And this morning, Elohim reminds us about the depth of the richness of our God and who he is. He is the only God whose majesty and superiority are unrivaled. He is the creator God who has caused everything we see and know to exist. He is the one who all find their purpose in, and without him we live in chaos. He is the supreme one. He is the mighty one. He is not one-dimensional. He is Elohim. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you for who you are to us. We thank you for your, your sovereignty. We thank you, yes, God, you are love. And we ask that we would understand what love is by understanding who you are. Thank you, God, that you're not one-dimensional. But just as you are love, you are also holiness. You are a righteousness. You are sovereign. You are creator. We thank you for the richness of who our God is. And Father, we pray this morning that through the foolishness of what I've said, that if anything that is not of you, that it would fall away. But Lord, would we love you more leaving this place than we did when we entered into it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Amen. Thank you for your patience this morning.